Good morning, everybody. Excited as we continue in our series, Word of Life. John has written a letter to his little children. What a wonderful, endearing phrase he uses in this book, Word of Life. And as we walk into 1 John, I pray today this will encourage you because we want to shine a light on the things that are dark so that we don't walk into them and get misrepresented by them. So today we, we talked about the darkness that can come. And uh, last week we even mentioned the idiom, in the dark, right? Well, have you ever re- heard the idiom, don't drink the Kool-Aid? Have you ever heard that one? Sometimes that's like, uh, hey, um, watch out, this might not be all it seems to be, or this could be something that's not necessarily as good as it looks. Don't do that, but it comes from something. It comes from a situation. It comes from a very grotesque situation. You know, I don't know about you, but um, every once in a while, getting out in the woods is awesome. And being under the stars is incredible unless you hear the howling of wolves. And I'll tell you, um, I've uh, taken some what we call wilderness trips. When I was a younger guy, we did some leadership training trips up in Algonquin in, in Canada. And you get under these stars and you'd see even the northern lights and all these things, but there'd be wolves. And, and these wolves would be howling. And you'd hear them and you're like, oh, what did, are they going to come for? The, this tent is thin. These tent walls are thin. Yeah, I don't know if you know much about wolves. Um, or whether you are researching them this week or not. But uh, wolves aren't an ambush predator. They're not gonna come out of nowhere, if you will. Uh, wolves, they kind of prey. And, and they kind of move through and, and, or move up on what they're, what they're coming after and hunting slowly. They'll walk around, if you will. Uh, they select, they follow, and they even kind of chase, but they keep somewhat of a distance, almost as if they're kind of protecting themselves. Wolves attack a little bit differently. Now, now, why do I bring this up? Because it's part of the historical context of the letter here in 1 John. Paul said, Just years after Jesus ascended, he said, guess what's going to come after Jesus is gone and we're awaiting for his return? He says this, wolves will come. After my departure, I know wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. Why? To draw away disciples after Christ? No, after them. Therefore, be alert. Watch out for this. Be alert. They can creep in. They come even from within and they'll have these messages and they'll they'll say things and people will be tempted to follow them. And obviously these aren't real wolves. We're not supposed to be in here at church going, watch out for wolves coming in here, okay? If they begin to come in, we'll we'll all know and I'm gonna run with you. (laughs) We're We're talking about false teachers, who have a goal to build a discipleship for themselves, for their own agendas, for their own purposes. And Paul said, this is gonna come. Would you believe this? After Jesus ascends on high, there's gonna be people who come in and make up false gospels. There's gonna be people who come in and tell lies about Jesus. Watch out for them. How many of you, if I said, do you remember or have you heard of the Jonestown or Jonestown massacre? 
It's a terrible story. It's an account that began eh, in the 50s or 60s. There's a young man who grew up in the church, wanted to become a preacher, became a preacher, and all of a sudden, what started out as good seemed to get a little twisted. It, it just seemed to be a little different. And, and, and it started in the Midwest, but as tensions arose and his character was beginning to be questioned, even though the crowds kept growing, he took his church and he moved it out to California and, and dubbed it the People's Temple. Even there, things were getting a little bit strange. People were questioning things, and, and, and it seemed like this person wasn't who he was pretending to be on the stage, yet, yet he and his wife, and they continued to, to just maneuver, and, and people would follow to the point where he said, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna get out of here, because everybody's out to get us, and we're gonna go to Guyana, and we're gonna put a commune for just us, and we'll call it the Jonestown, the People's Temple. Stories would come out of this, relatives of concerned followers of her, his who went to the commune began to alert media and different sources, and even a politician went over to see this commune. And guess what? Even then, people were handing him notes saying, this isn't what it is. People are being held here. There are threats. That politician going back to the plane was eventually killed. And on top of that, their leader, this preacher, ordered a mass suicide to go to the other side. And they had poison in drinks. And what makes it more grotesque is a large number of the 900 people were under the age of 17. And they were demanded to drink first. So the parents wouldn't even necessarily want to live. And, and many people think that they just voluntarily drank it, but... Things have surfaced even on audio tape that clearly shows this was just as much a murder as a mass suicide. And, 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 the, and the images that were taken since it was 1978 of just hundreds of bodies laying around this people's temple is horrifying to watch, to look at. How can people fall into this? How can we avoid being duped? How can we stay away from teaching that is directed not to help us and lead us to Christ, but lead us to an individual and an agenda? How can we avoid this? And is this prevalent even today? I mean, could we fall trap to lies? Well, John tells his audience, and remember, the feel of John now as an older man is more of a family meeting, gathering everybody around and saying, listen up, children. We know our audience is his spiritual children. He says, listen up. Be very aware of this, because this will rise more and more now that we're in the last Hour. And so today, our message will be called The Last Hour. We're in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 29. And we're going to look at some of the characteristics of these wolves that might come. We're going to be alerted to it, and we're going to discuss it. And I think I'm right in everybody's wheelhouse, because we are definitely in a time period where people love to like look at leadership with one eye. Like, oh, I bet they're up to something, right? And so now today, that's what we get to do. We get to go, I bet they're up to something. And we look through these different things and 
characteristics we should be watching for, as well as part of the method and even the plans. And let's be alerted to it. And let's follow and heed the instruction that John was giving his children then so that we can live that out now. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, use this time. Lord, I pray you'd remove the place from distraction. Lord, I pray you calm our hearts to hear the message. And Lord, I pray that you would allow your word of life to minister to us today as we look forward to being in your truth. We pray this knowing that there is a very dark world lying all around us. And may we understand what is light and may we want to be in the light. We'll pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if I said to you, what if you're on your last hour? How many of you would be like, well, let's get out of here then? I don't know. I mean, I'm joking. I'm speaking to the choir. You want to be involved with us. But what would you do if it was your last hour? I mean, how many of you are, and, and please, I say this very humbly, but let me just, I want to express this so we can gravitate towards the power of this. How many of you are arrogant enough to think you're in control of what's going to happen tomorrow? Nobody, right? I hope we're not, right? I, I know when I was younger, I used to think I have days guaranteed, like, that's not, hey, when I'm older, I'm going to start living for the Lord. I would say all those things. I mean, I got to do me right now. But like, dad, don't worry. I'm going to get like all spiritual older in life. Don't worry. Just right now, I got, I got to do this right now because you know the environment I'm in. And stuff. But, but how many of us, especially if you're younger, some of you here who came in and it was all you could do to get here, you say, Chris, I promise you, I'm probably on my last hour. We're glad you came. What opened my eyes one time is my dad told me a story of something that happened here actually at this church. They had a youth meeting on a Wednesday night. The gospel was presented, it was shared. And the whole idea is, do you know if you have tomorrow? Two girls left this property, drove up towards the ridge. And if you're a local, I know we have people watching from multiple states, but if you're a local, you know right by that Penridge airport, it's a difficult intersection. They didn't navigate it correctly, I guess, or something was... Um, obscuring their ability, and they were hit in a car crash, and both severely hurt, and then one actually passed away. Young people, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Hey, college student, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Teenager, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. There's a sense of urgency that the scriptures always talk about. If you're a little newer to church, or you haven't necessarily sat under scriptural teaching, one of the aspects you'll notice about scripture is there is a sense of urgency. It's as if the authors know that a clock has been started, and there's a time it began, and there is a time when it will be the last days. And the last hour, scripturally speaking, I believe is in reference to right after Jesus ascended to the time he returns is that last hour. And although it might make up hundreds or even thousands of years, that's that last hour. Jesus Christ's return is imminent and it's a time period where things will happen that maybe necessarily didn't happen before Jesus. And here's one of the things, people are gonna lie about who Jesus is, especially people who are of the world. And so John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Well, that, that's pretty intense. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now we know John's audience is his little spiritual children. So he's saying, if, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him. Now we're, we, love, we don't love the world, we love God. So if we act like we love the world, that's not what we wanna be. That's not who we are as a family. Because those who love the world, the love of the Father's not in them. Now I wanna raise my hand for a second and, and just be a little antagonistic and say, I thought John 3.16 said God loves the world. And now you're telling me, do not love the world. Could we make up our mind? And so now you're getting a little bit into more of a hermeneutic of understanding how to interpret scripture. And here, world or cosmos is a reference to not so much the world as in all the people, but the worldliness. It's the idea of the pursuits, the passions, the pastimes of the world. As believers, you're called to be in the world, but not of the world. You're not to pursue. It's not that you can't. It's not, you're not to want these things more than the things of God. He continues, for all that's in the world, all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. John breaks down kind of the triune method of this worldly system meant for us to get distracted by that the enemy's behind. He says it begins with the desires, or some of you have in your text, the lust of the flesh. Let, let, me, let me play this out. Anytime um, you're tempted with my, that's kind of the idea behind lust of the flesh, okay? So we hear lust of the flesh, like, hey, hon, you're demonstrating lust of the flesh. And she's like, just go away. You know, that's not good to communicate, right? But, but here's when we get tempted, ready? Does this ever tempt you? I mean, you would never be, you would never be fooled like, those people, right? But, but hang on, hang on. L let me be a little more clever. Anytime the lust of the flesh is impacting us is when we go my, my stuff, my money, my rights, my future. I want it. Now, lust of the eyes is that move to from my, my, my ownership, my to I. I want that, I see that. And it gets even creepier at times because there's a difference even between jealousy that the desire of the eye brings and envy. Do you know the difference? Jealousy sees something that someone else has and they go, I, I want that. Envy's a little creepier. Some of you might have been picked by this. Teenager, maybe this happens to you when you're on social media. It's not so much that envy's deeper than jealousy. Jealousy says, I see something and I want it. Envy goes, I see them have it and I don't want them to have it. It's like a deeper, I want what they have and I don't want them to have what I want. I mean, this is the eyes. They want me, I, I, lust of the eyes. Has, has, now, now, do we ever see this in the world? Sure we do. I want mine, 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 it's mine, mine. And I, 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 I. And then the pride of life is look at me, see me, notice me, watch me. These, this is that trifold approach, this system of the world that the enemy uses to distract us and to get us focused. And have you ever noticed most of your anxiety comes from you possibly losing something or somebody else hurting you or you not being able to control your future? 
It's because we can buy into this. Oh, not so much a tent in Guyana. This is a little bit different. This is a focus that is strictly on the things of this world. And it's not from the Father. That's from the world. And now I know this is difficult. I spent 10 years in youth ministry. And, and, and the reality is this message I know doesn't always communicate that well. Let, let's just t- take a second. I mean, here we are, we're in this world and it has so many lights and so many things it can offer us. We see fame, fortune, followers, and there's just so many things of I, my, I want all this, okay? And, and we get so distracted and, and, and so consuming. And we get up there, and I remember this is you, Pastor, be like, all right, it's like, guys, and this is how they see it. This is how they're seeing it. Okay, there's this, look at this girl over here, okay? And look, she's, she's barely dressed. She's staring at you and she's right in front of this awesome car. Look at the logo on that car. Oh my word, okay. All right, don't want that. And all the guys are in the room going, man, I hate youth group. That's all I want. And I don't want that. Girls, girls, it's like there's this guy over here and oh, look at him, oh, look at him. And and then he has this and he has that. Okay, don't pursue that. It's that, it's that, oh, oh, I, I, I want this title. I want more degrees. I want all those things. Well, watch out for that. It's like, we're saying things and it's so counterintuitive to all the messages that are coming at us all the time. So what is it about the world that the Bible's got such a problem with? And it's not so much that we have stuff. It's okay to have stuff until the stuff owns you. It's okay to have titles until you define yourself by the titles. It's okay. We are in the world, but don't be of it. Don't let those pursuits consume you. And when they consume you, there must be something the Bible thinks will hurt you terribly about that. Because scripture, okay? Scripture, if you're a little newer to church, this is news. A lot of people think the Bible is there to destroy and ruin the fun. It's as if God walks around in heaven, oh, Chris is having funneth, and squash that fun. That is not what scripture's doing. Scripture's saying, watch out for that. Don't hurt yourself. That's, that's got problems out there. There's some too, but John says, I have a further message. It's more than just that'll hurt you. There's things about the world that will expose things you don't want exposed. There's consequences to what goes on out there And on top of that, it can prevent fellowship with God when you're in the world and pursuing the things of the world. There's danger out there. But on top of that, it's tremendous folly to follow after something that John opens up our eyes to, something that's passing away. He says this, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Young parents, if you had another parent come up to you and say, they're spending thousands of dollars on their, on their child's teeth, you would go, yeah, us too. And, but I bet it would give you a little pause if they said, they're two. Why would you spend that much money on two? Unless, of course, there was a problem. They're passing, but they're going to fall out. They're going to enjoy when they fall out. They're going to show you when they fall out. Why would you invest into something that's not going to be there very long? This is John's idea. Why are you investing so much of your mental energy, your physical energy, and your pursuits on something that's passing away? 
But what he says next is a complete tone shift. He goes from being very serious to severe. And he says this, children, it's the last hour. And as you've heard the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, now, now, now hold up. I'm not ready to do the therefore yet. What did he just say? Antichrists are coming. Um, it's the last hour. Antichrist is coming. And many Antichrists have come. All right, let, let's just, like, what? In the last hour, in the time between Jesus' ascension and the time he returns, Antichrists will come? It's a big world out there. And it seems during that time period, as we get closer to it, we're gonna see some foreshadowings of this Antichrist that will come in the end. What's that about? And what are these current Antichrists if there's many? And what will it be like? John's gonna give you an idea of what it's gonna be like. And trust me, they'll hunt easy prey. And as a parent, that can bother you. As a grandma, that can bother you because some are more naive to what the scriptures are teaching and they're walking around and there's darkness all around them. He wants to draw them. He wants to draw them away from the truth into his fake lights that are just temporary. They come on for a little bit and they go away. It might ease the pain for the evening. It might numb that feeling. It might take the emotion away for just the time, but it's all going to come back. It's all temporary. And this, these antichrists, we're going to learn more about in a minute here. They're going after easy prey. Now, now, how many of you, okay? have lost, we're going to just talk about this at church for just a second, have lost a child for at least 30 seconds. Okay, don't raise your hand, okay, because it'll just expose us terrible parents. I've lost all three of them at some point, so don't feel bad, all right? And I remember the hardest one was our firstborn. He just would not sit still. We looked up some of his characteristics and one of the characteristics of his personality was runs as if driven by a motor. And we said, that's our child. He would go everywhere and he would get away from me. It's why my wife says, I'll just watch him. You go ahead. Cause they get away from me. Cause I am also easily distracted. Okay. And one time I walked away for a second and one of them was gone. But it was never worse than an airport illustration. But it takes me to the time we were at Ocean City. This child kept walking away from me. Oh, four or five years old. His legs were going good. He had sweet Nikes on. And he would just go. We even got him a leash. You ever see those? We got one. We're like, we can't lose him. But every, he'd go everywhere. And I said, I'm having enough of this. He needs to learn a lesson. Dad, you ever need to, you need to teach, right? And so we're at the carousel. You know where I'm at. I'm over at Wonderland. Some of you, if you're, lo if you're not local, you need to go to Ocean City like us. But I was at Wonderland and we're at the carousel and he's wandering off from me again. And so I just let him go a little bit. Mom, stay with me, okay? Mom's like, what? 
I let him go a little bit. Let's see, let's see how this goes. He's walking around, like walking. Just going like this. And then I see him. I'm, I'm kind of walking too. I'm like staying with him, staying with him. But I'm going to let him turn around and not see me, even though I'm in striking distance if anything were to go. He's walking, walking. And I see him turn around and go like this to a guy. There's a lot of bald men in the world. <laughs> he, goes like, he, he goes like this. And it's not me. And I see his face. I see him looking. And I yell his name. Because he, he knows his father's voice. And even amidst all these distractions, there's one thing he knows. It's dad's voice through the crowd. I call his name. Because I know his name. And he knows me. And that name brings safety. And he saw me. And do you think he ran to me? He went, okay, I'm good. And he went, <laughs> right, right. Didn't change anything. Oh, here we go. Off he goes. He felt safe, so I'm back out there. The enemy loves when we get out alone like that, away from the body of Christ. He loves when we get away from the truth. He loves opportunities. And these antichrists, they love to prey on those that are a little bit more naive. So we need to be alert to this. Well, first of all, what is this antichrist? How do we define this? I mean, I've heard about this in scripture. And so I, I, I don't know much about it. So let's go into detail. Just jump into seminary for a minute. I wanna do a little bit of work that was done by Dallas Theological Seminary by one of the professors there, Hitchcock, does a great job. And, and and he describes a little bit how the Antichrist is very simple, the opposite of Christ, okay? He is everything anti what Christ was. He's the lie. He's called the lawless one, the son of destruction, the mystery of iniquity. He desecrates the temple. He's the beast. And that doesn't speak until you see what Jesus did. Look at this. Jesus was the truth not the lie. He was the holy one, not the lawless one. He was a man of sorrows, not the son of destruction. He was the mystery of godliness, not the mystery of iniquity, or that's the word sin. He cleansed the temple, not desecrated the temple. He was the lamb, not the beast. Wow. On top of that, they go even further. And I love this. They talk about origin, Jesus from heaven, antichrist, bottomless pit, the good shepherd versus the foolish shepherd. His father's will was his goal. The antichrist, his own will. He came to save the lost. The antichrist came to enslave the lost. He had authority, the father's name. The antichrist went on his own name. The fruit was the true vine. The antichrist is the vine of the earth. He was despised where antichrist is admired. He was exalted on high where antichrist is cast into hell. Oh, he's the opposite. And on top of that, this antichrist of the end time has some aliases. In scripture, he's referred to as the little horn, which tells us he's more of an evil politician type, Daniel says. He's called the king of intrigue, which means he'll be charismatic and even audacious in Daniel chapter eight. He's the prince to come, which gives the idea of a global dictator. He's the man of lawlessness, which means he's a liar and a cheat, Second Thessalonians. He's called the foolish shepherd. He will lead people into folly, Zechariah tells us. He's the son of destruction, the destroyer of the nation, Second Thessalonians. He's the beast of the sea in Revelation, the monster that rises up from in the world. Well, why is he so influential? What is it about this antichrist that will draw people away? He's just driven by a motor, but that motor is Satan himself. Scripture talks about Satan. He's the shining one. Make no mistake, 
He's gorgeous. See, oftentimes we have created a Satan made out of movies. But scripture tells you Lucifer was the shining light. Lucifer looked at himself and went, whoa, why are we all worshiping God? I mean, he is stunning. And isn't it so often things that look so good are often sometimes the most dangerous things? He's called Belial. He's a false god. He offers comfort, wealth, independence, and nature. He's called the evil one, an absolute corrupter of what's good. The devil's called a liar for he has deceptive methods and distortions. He's Satan, the accuser. He manipulates with shame and guilt. He tempts people with the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life. Look at that. And he's the prince of this world a dictator with systems and schemes. Scripture says, beware of these schemes, but beware of those who are foreshadowing of this evil leader that will come during the time of tribulation. Oh, children, he says, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is this last hour. And some might say, are we close? Are we close this last hour? Because, I mean, what will the times be like during this last hour? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Do you know 2 Timothy chapter 3 gives a few verses? Paul is writing to Timothy, and he gives a little bit of description about what the attitude and what the spirit or uh, idea of the age will be that you might know. This is what it's going to be like as we draw closer and closer. The text is 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me, let me just read a few verses. This is written some, over, over 1,500 years ago, right? This has been written. So let's see, let's see if Scripture kind of nails the time that we might be living in. It might give us a little more insight into this. Okay, so it's chapter 2, verses 3 through 9. Where am I off? Chapter four, there we go. Help me out, church. There we go. All right, three. Okay. For people will be lovers of self. But understand this, that in the last days, there will be times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of self, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. They'll creep into households, he continues. They'll sway away people who are a little bit more naive or prone to these tales that they'll create. Boy, it sure sounds like the day and age we're living in. But John says, I want you all in this time, if it's the last days for sure, if we're in the last hour, I want you to walk around with a wolf detector. What? Yeah, there's three things he wants them looking for. It's gonna lead from depart, deconstruct, and deceive. Watch for these things. First John says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out. That is, it might become plain that they are not, all are not 
of us. Here's the first thing. Watch, they'll depart from within the church. This will be those that that seem like they have some truth. They'll offer a knowledge that they know something of scripture, but it'll be twisted. Things will be different. Well, will I be, will I be led astray by him? Because, I mean, he, he smiles. He says verses of scripture. Is, is this, a, is this a, a wolf in a sheep's clothing? But you have an anointed one, he encourages them. You have an anointing by the Holy One, and you know all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. You, you have a wolf detector in you, this anointing. Now, now some of you go, what is that? You have a knowledge within you that rises up in those moments where you sense lies. What is this? You know, it's interesting. My dad tells a story um, that my mom would tuck us in at night. And after she tuck us in, then my dad would come up when we were little and he'd finish the tuck in, but he wasn't allowed to rile us up even though he would. But my sister being older, she would be tucked in first and then I was second. Now we lived in Rohom on 9th Street, so we were not far apart so we could hear each other's rooms. Well, my dad said that night there was a close baseball game on and you all know right now what that's like. And and he wanted to finish the game so he was trying to hurry the tuck in and he said, your sister was stalling. And she said, dad, how do we know the Bible is true? And he said, now, being the good father I was, I told her, sweetheart, that's a a big question. We'll handle it in the morning. And he said, he left the room. He thought that would satisfy. He came over to my room and I had this thing that mom and dad got me when I was little. It was from Word of Life, which is fitting for this series, but it was called Honey and the Rock. Does anybody remember those? And, And they were verses that were in there that we would memorize at night and they were all in like King James. I didn't understand a word of them, but, but I, I tried to memorize them, right? And this one said, um, we have an unction with the Holy One and ye know all things. I mean, come on, every four or five-year-old should know what that means, right? You have an unction with the Holy One. I remember saying to my dad, what's an unction from the Holy One? And, and my dad was wise in the scriptures. He said, well, that's the Holy Spirit that you're given at salvation. And he illuminates scripture. He helps you understand and he gives you assurance. And he explained to me, and I don't remember listening very much, but I was glad my dad was still in the room. He said, he walked down the steps and he went, oh my word, that verse just answered my sister's question. And he says, I can't remember if I went in to tell her the answer or not. But that verse has always been special in our family because my dad likes to tell the story because he goes, you know what? I have no idea who was playing that night and who won the game. All I remember is my little girl asked me, how do I know the Bible's true? My son reads the verse that I needed. The Holy Spirit reminds you it's true. And I had the answer in two bedrooms. Watch out you'll see lies. That Holy Spirit will go, I don't like that. I don't like that. Who is the liar but he who denies Jesus Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. You want to know how to spot one of these Antichrists? They're going to depart from the church. But the second thing they're going to do, they're going to deconstruct sound doctrine. They're going to take sound doctrine. They're going to change Jesus. 
You're gonna hear things come along that are more man-made religions. And keep this in mind, this was written far before a lot of the cults that you're very aware of were established, that are man-made, that have twisted truth, have created their own Bibles. They take doctrine and they deconstruct it and they start saying that these things aren't true. And the number one thing they mess up is what? Jesus Christ. College student, you're gonna hear a lot of stuff in this world. The one thing you listen for, are they messing up Jesus Christ? Jesus was fully God, fully man. If he's not, that messes with your resurrection. If you mess with the resurrection, what on earth are you even doing in church? Because that's the heart of everything, that he conquered sin and death and he is alive today, amen, church? And if you get that wrong, something's really wrong, get out of there. Because we need to make sure we get Jesus right because that's how it starts getting twisted. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, he continues, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. I'm writing because I don't want to see you get lied to. So that's the third. The first one is they depart from within the church. The second is they're going to deconstruct sound doctrine. And the third one is they're going to deceive immature faith. Isn't that so frustrating? Loved ones that we care so deeply about that are prone to fear, they're going to prey on that fear. Loved ones that we care so much that are naive to the truth and they just go, well, it sounded like it was the Bible. Isn't it so frustrating? Loved ones that desire prominent position and are pulled by different things and we go, oh, that's, the, that's not where you wanna go. They're deceived, immature faith. And so that's why we need to be watching for these kinds of teachers that have a warped Jesus, a distorted gospel, even a twisted agenda. And so often, church, beware. It's so popular in our social media world to call everybody a false teacher, especially when someone might have just a slightly indifferent interpretation of scripture than them. Make no mistake, false teachers of scripture aren't what they were wearing, okay? How do I know a false teacher? Cool shoes? No, okay? Um, oh, one of those ties where he's all like straight, no. no. Lights, right? No. Size of auditorium. The size of, if there's lots of people, that's a false thing. No. Small church? No. Cool glasses? No. Bald head? No. <laughs> a warped Jesus, a distorted gospel that adds work salvation. Watch for that. And an agenda that is a trifold agenda. False teachers have one, two, three agendas. Sex, power, and money. Scripture shows it. And they leverage their platforms for those things. Watch out. But you have that unction. 
You've got that wolf detector in you. You received it from him who abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as you has an anointing, teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie. Just as it's taught you, abide in him. He's saying, look, 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 you have the Holy Spirit. Little children, I called this family meeting to remind you, you got the Holy Spirit inside you. He's working in you and he's gonna illuminate what are lies and keep you from walking in this. And that's so important to stay close to the light, but to have the light, we need that armor of light that scripture talks about. You know, light, does some things. And so does truth, right? Truth illuminates things. And yes, I have a lightsaber. <laughs> no, there's no sound effects. All right, all right. We've been given the armor of light. Church, you're told to put on the armor of God. There's only one offensive weapon, isn't there? Do you remember what it is? The sword of the spirit, right? Our sword, our, our, our truth is our offensive weapon. Everything else is the shield, the belt, the shoes of peace. We guard against the evil one, but we have the armor of light with his truth. And it's amazing. When things are dark, it stabilizes us. It's like a light unto my feet and a light unto my path. It stabilizes me when I'm prone to wander. I stay stabilized. The light exposes things I didn't see. I can be walking through an area and not notice an obstacle unless I have the armor of light and I see, because otherwise I might trip and stumble. I have the light and I can ask it to search me and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me and confess my sin because he's so faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I have the light. And so when I'm reading passages of scripture, it can illuminate and help me understand it deeper than I would have before. Even though study tools are wonderful, I have this light. And it's like an armor for me. When people lie to me, I have something that I can go back to with the spirit of gentleness and say, I'm sorry. That's simply not the truth, the light, the armor of light. And why is this so important? Paul says, Timothy, in the last days, the crowds are gonna want different things. They're not going to want to hear the truth in the last hour. It's 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in the kingdom, preach the word in season and out. Be ready to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they'll have itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 
Paul said, Timothy, there's gonna be a day where the crowds don't wanna hear sound doctrine. It won't be tolerated. There'll be truth that they just don't wanna hear anymore. There's gonna be days where voices of relativism will get the biggest platforms. There's gonna be days where religious consumerism is all that's desired. There's gonna be days where all new knowledge will be desired over what you had heard from the beginning. Watch out. Keep your armor of light. In the last hour, there'll be distraction. You'll know it. It'll be obvious. Stay in the light. How do I know? I want to be sure. And I want this minute to tell you, I don't know if God's going to always have you at Renew Bible. You, you, might, you might be called somewhere else. Maybe you're a young person here, you're way off of college, going to another church, and you're not sure. I mean, everything sounds okay. You're like, but Pastor Chris, I can't bring you or one of the pastors with me. I can't bring my mom and dad. This has got to be about what I believe. And in these last days where there's going to be lots of wolves that are going to look like, like they look okay, I, I want to know what I should be listening for. Here, here's my best advice. Wherever you go, whether it's this place or somewhere else, wherever you go, do your best to find mature teaching versus immature teaching. I'm not talking about what the person, what they, they sat on a stool. Is that like, no, no, no. Mature versus immature. Is that an age thing? No, it's not. There are some young teachers that are incredibly mature with the word of God. There's some older teachers that are incredibly immature with the word of God. In the last hour, we're told in Timothy that we can be looking for these things, looking at, for a, a workman that is approved by God. He says, remind them of these things and charge them not to quarrel about with words, which does no good, but only ruins hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, Timothy, a worker who is not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more ungodliness. Their talk will spread like gangrene. He continues, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, all of those who call on the name of the Lord with a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, Timothy. You know they only breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, even if the crowds call you soft for being kind. Endure it. Even if they call you weak for doing what God's called you to do, endure it. Preach the word. I made a list of some of the differences you can see between immature teaching and mature teaching. And give pastors grace. It's hard to communicate, especially in a society that destroys people who communicate. Give them grace. Show them love. But watch for some of these things. Immature teaching, watch out. You'll see it's argumentative. It's argumentative. It can even use the scripture to be incredibly argumentative when scripture is constantly told to be used with gentleness as you approach other people. You want to look for composed teaching. They're often ill-equipped versus prepared. They're irreverent, as I saw in this passage, versus respectful. They're unsettling versus comforting. If I'm going to, and I'm always unsettled, there's a comfort that God brings from his word that should be portrayed in mature teaching. 
There's dishonorable and honorable, unkind versus empathetic, defensive versus long-suffering, impulsive versus prudent. Mature teaching is a sign that the heart's right. We are so caught up in whether someone's talented or good or captivating or charismatic, and all those things might be great, and there's nothing wrong with that. But church, what Timothy was called to was to handle the word of God with respect and gentleness, but strong conviction that he has the truth. Everything is a lie that's not of the truth. And now little children, abide in him, that's that remaining relationship, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him and his, in shame at his coming. Abide in him. Stay close to him. Stay in the light, especially as we, we think this may be the last hour. You say, when is this last hour? I mean, it seems like scripture has started a timeline that's gonna happen. And we know that because of the books of prophecy. If you're newer to the church, there are books in the Bible that have prophetic teachings in it about what is to come. And one of those prophetic teachings in Revelation is about this antichrist that will arrive on the scene in what I believe will be called the tribulation. What will occur first? I believe scripture has given us a rapture. It's called a capturing away, built from the root word raptoro in Thessalonians. I think it best explains the return of Jesus Christ as told by 1 Corinthians that could happen any moment. It refers to the removal of the saints from Revelation chapter 4 to 19. I think it best explains that. I think the rapture shows the reunion reward before an hour of testing that Revelation 3 talks about, as well as the reassurance of our blessed hope. We're not to look at the end times as a child of God with horror, but hope. He's coming for us. But what will happen to those that are not involved in the rapture? Well, once the rapture occurs for the child of God, they'll go before the judgment seat of Christ, Paul tells us. It will be at the judgment seat of Christ that children of God will be rewarded for their faithful service, be rewarded for the great commission, be rewarded for victories over sin, rewarded for even a controlled tongue, and there's crowns there that people will get for how they lived on earth. Oh, but we'll throw them back at Jesus' feet. For we know that apart from him, we could have done nothing. Be abiding in Christ so when that day comes, you don't shrink away in shame, but you look forward to it. But what's happening on earth? Oh, I believe after the rapture, a seven-year tribulation will come. The Antichrist signs an agreement with Israel. He tells him, I'm gonna provide peace. He offers everything, and what a crazy time it would be during that time. And then he turns on him three and a half years in. What's called the abomination of desolation. He makes war. He goes after it. And we see judgment, the demonic realm, Armageddon, all happening in that tribulation period. At the end of that day, all the armies are gathered at Armageddon. Jesus comes in, and I'll do my best to illustrate it. He sees all of his enemies, and he comes in and goes, okay, now heaven. Because he's not stressed out about it. I don't care what the movies have said, like Jesus and the devil are one-on-one -on -one and they're going at each other. There is zero problem here, okay? Jesus is not in heaven going, I hope this works out. 
You know, one time it talks about God in heaven in Psalms. It says, he looks at the nations and their plannings and their schemings and it says this, the Lord laughs. Here's the image. <laughs> oh, he doesn't laugh when his kids are hurt though. He doesn't laugh. He's storing it up. And that judgment will come. And yes, he came as the suffering servant. He said, let the children come to me. But Revelation says when he comes again, there'll be a flame and a sword coming out of his mouth. For he's coming to judge those who are not his own. Do you know him? Do you know him? You say, I don't know. I don't know if I believe all this Bible stuff. I'm just trying to make mom happy, so I came. Okay, well, maybe you're there. Well, if that's the case and none of this is true, then we're all probably fine. We're just enjoying ourselves on a Sunday morning. But if this scripture that's been around for thousands of years, that leader after leader after leader has tried to destroy but can't get rid of it, if this gospel that changes people's lives and takes them from darkness to light and from enslavement to freedom, if this thing is true, And you should listen because God might have you tuning in today or sitting in the audience because who knows? You might be in your last hour. I want to be sure I'm born of him. Well, John's been giving you reasons and they've been tallying up, right, church? We've been going through 1 John. Am I a child of God? Well, well he said, Here, here's some descriptions of a child of God. Children of God, they walk in the light. They have fellowship with Christians. They admit they've sinned. Children of God confess their sin. Children of God seek to obey God's word. Children of God want to live like Jesus. Children of God love one another. And you might say, yeah, yeah, that's me. Well, then you're saved. You're good. You came to have a knowledge of Jesus Christ. You say, but sometimes I don't love my brother. Okay, well, confess that. He is faithful and just to forgive it. Um, there's sometimes I stumble into the shadows. I get, I get tempted. Confess that. He is faithful and just to forgive it. John's audience was his little children, his spiritual children. He said, guys, act like a child of God. This is what a child of God looks like. But I sometimes mess up. Well, then confess it. But if none of this is true of you, then you may not be born of him. And you might need to make a decision to say, if this is my last hour, that's going to be one of the things I do. He gave us a couple more today. He gave us this one. Children of God do not love worldliness. They don't. They, they sometimes get attracted by it. They sometimes get, but they don't love it. Children of God do not forsake the church. They don't do that. They, they understand the church is part of how they love one another. And children of God, they can understand the Bible. Oh, oh there's harder passages. In fact, in scripture, it says these are difficult sayings. But we understand that it's light to our feet. Chris, I'm just concerned. I got family members. There's wolves out there. I, I pray for them. But if I'm honest, I, I'm concerned for myself too. I mean, you said there's wolves and they're praying and, and we all are capable of falling into traps. I mean, who hasn't been duped by a scam at some point in their life? I don't want this. Well, I got good news for you. In scripture, it says the wolves, they try to come into the sheepfold all in very different ways. And only the sheep come through the door. Jesus says in John, I am the door. And yes, kids, I have different colors. 
He says, I am the door. I am the keeper. And the sheep come in the door. And, and you know what the beautiful picture is? If you understand anything about sheepfolds, there'd be like an entrance. And that's the only way into the sheepfold. And the shepherds, you know what they'd do? They'd lay down in front of it for the sheep to go to bed. They'd lay down. All the lambs go to bed and they'd lay down right in front of it. And Jesus says, I am the door. Isn't that good to know that you can be praying at night and going, Lord, I may get duped, but you won't. Would you stand a post for me? And you know what's really cool about that Gospel of John message? He calls his sheep and they come. You wanna know why? Because they know his voice. I pray for this church every week. I feel it's one of my duties as a pastor here to be interceding for this body of Christ. Do you pray for our protection church? Would you please? There's plenty of wolves. I can show you my email, just kidding. Would you pray for one another church? Because there's plenty of wolves. And parents, wouldn't it be an encouragement to you to know that there's other parents in this church praying for your children too? Because there's plenty of wolves. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be misled by them. And I don't want any of you to be misled by them. It's not popular to go through these verses of scripture, but I pray today that they would encourage you to just watch, but be comforted. Jesus is saying, I'm at the door. Pray and go get some sleep. He'll shine the light. Heavenly Father, use your word to warn us today. There's a lot of times we come in here, Lord, and we get inspired and we get encouraged, but today we wanted your word to warn us today. And that warn is a loving warn that there's wolves, but take heart, I'm with you. And I'll be at the door. And so Lord, we pray for your protection. We are naive. Lord, I know I am. And we can stumble into things, God. We are simply sheep and we need our shepherd. And not one of us can say that we couldn't possibly be fooled. And Lord, there's nothing wrong with having things in this world or doing things in this world or pursuing things in this world. It's when those things define us. It's when those things control us. And it's when those things are desirable more than you. Lord, may we always want to be in the light. And Lord, in those times when we feel nervous that we might be being lied to, Jesus, would you shine that light and expose it? Do it for our children. Do it for our grandchildren. Do it for our grandparents. Lord, do it for your church. We need you. Shine that light. May we walk towards it. In Jesus' name, amen.